0: Hello, friends. Welcome. I am so excited to talk to our guest today. Leslie Ford cares about the wellness of moms. She developed the Moms Hierarchy of Needs framework and has used research to develop resources and products to support moms in their full range of needs. She also launched a program called Allies at Work to help employers retain working parents and create inclusive workplaces where caregivers can thrive.
1: Welcome, Leslie. Hello. Hello. I'm thrilled to be here, Christine. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining. And we just recently had a chance to actually see each other in person. So I'm so glad that opportunity provided us a reminder to get on the mic together because I have questions for you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. No, the in-person was nice. It
0: It was so good. It was so good. Well, I would love to jump in because you know, you and I have not even really done a deep dive on your work like this before. So this is really exciting for me too. And I would love to start by talking about your framework, which I will link up in the notes for people to check out because there's a pyramid. And um, I think it was really both surprising and also shocking to see what's in that framework so clearly depicted. So I would love if you can provide a top line explanation for how you arrived at this hierarchy of needs. And also, I'm curious if there's something that routinely serves as an aha moment for people when they see this framework.
1: Absolutely. Well, I burned out in a pretty spectacular way after I returned to work for my second maternity leave. So this was just over eight years ago now. Um, At the time I had taken on a pretty big promotion while I was pregnant. And in the 12 weeks that I was away, it was like the whole world had changed at my then employer. Like we went from focusing on top line revenue to bottom line profitability. I had several members of my team shift roles while I was out, and then several others when I came back who had to go out on leave. Um, And they were all unplanned leaves. So I'm short-staffed. And it was like being in a new job where suddenly I was being asked to bring my most strategic, clear-thinking self to all these challenges. But I had a newborn and a toddler. I was sleeping in 90-minute increments. And I was exhausted and there was a lot of days where i didn't remember driving to the office even though it was nearly an hour away or i'd get all the way there and realize after kind of like a frantic race through the parking garage and up the stairs that i'd left my breast pump at home mm. and i would have to drive all the way back and i i thought i was going to die i didn't understand what other people were doing what other uh women were doing who were trying to take their careers and growing their careers and make it fit with parenting and it was after the burnout it was probably a good year or two after I was approached by a startup founder about why moms were so stressed uh, he was developing a wearable device for stress and and I said well you know there's Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then there's mom's hierarchy of needs it's like it just came out of my mouth mm-hmm. and I felt it in my body. I was so excited about the idea of it. I drew down a little piece of paper and that moment was my aha moment because I realized that the reason that I wasn't making any space for my mental, physical, and emotional health, which would be all those aspirational categories at the top, mm-hmm. which in my pyramid, for those who are listening, it does not include things like spa days and manicures, right? It's mm-hmm. sleep. It's nutrition, it's stress management, it's healthy relationships with other adults, it's interests and learning. The reason we don't get up there is because everything that we really cherish and prioritize in the bottom two-thirds, you know, like our children's milestones and their activities and their education, our responsibilities in the household, our professional roles, all of those things are never done. Mm-hmm. we can really spend 24/7 in any of those categories. And for me, when I had that like awakening, I realized that there would be no discretionary time. You know, before kids, you kind of think, oh, well, when everything else is done, then I will go for that run or call that friend or you know, start that PhD program or you know, whatever it is that you want to do, you condition yourself to believe that there's some space when everything that you prioritize or consider important, or that you're committed to, is over. But there's no over. Like when you have kids, right. there's no more discretionary time. So that kind of gave me the permission I needed to get ruthless about making space for those restorative activities at the top, and it really changed the way I thought about time, um, and it. And it made me so intentional and aware about my time that it allowed me to gradually climb out from burnout and also, like, regain the kind of growth and momentum professionally that was really important to me, especially early in my career.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, we have certainly had a number of guests talking about time and the the tricky nature of it i mean do you think that is the biggest stumbling b- block this feeling of you know oh i'll take care of that while it's done or are there other things that you are seeing as big stumbling blocks especially for moms in terms of prioritizing that growth and self-care and by the way i talk all the time about the non sexy side of self-care all those essential things you have to do for yourself that are not in fact a spa day
1: <laughs> so i'm with you there <laughs> Mhm. Well, oh there's so much about that that's tricky, Christine. I mean, probably the biggest one that I see especially in my survey data is guilt. Mm. That even when we do have discretionary time, as fleeting and interruptible as it is, women are socialized and conditioned to be pleasing and self-sacrificing and you know, concerned about others to the point that they are minimizing their own needs in many cases. So we have that conditioning that's wrapped up in this. And even if the discretionary time is there, like I said, it's not often, but even in that situation, there's so much guilt associated with using that time in service to ourselves it's like, well, wait a minute, I should be doing something else. I should be cleaning the counters. I should be taking care of the kids. I should be, I should be, I should be tackling this long to-do list. And so that's a huge, um, kind of corrosive Mm. aspect that we apply to the very limited time that we have available.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Totally hear that, and I will link up in the notes also an essay. I've been doing a lot of writing on Substack, which I love, and you know a recent reminder um, from my my twelve year old who gave me at at Easter a she had assembled a gift like a gift package for me for Easter with nice. a hand drawn coupon to chill. That was the name <laughs> of the post, I believe. But the point I was making in that essay was that um, there were some. Uh, years ago there was work that I had read that was basically saying, and again, I think it was similar with survey data, and the finding was that, you know, when you ask kids what they want, they're not they're not asking for big grand things. I mean, one of the top lines of what kids wanted was parents who were less stressed and just more present. So
1: mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. like the basics are just so important. Absolutely. And, and being whether it's physically or mentally in this place of chasing the to-do list, right? Which again is never done. Mm. It prevents that enjoyment that comes from presence and it prevents that connection that comes from presence. And it even prevents that self-reflection and thoughtful planning that's required to grow and to solve problems. So, I feel like we get stuck in this loop of being always on, not having any space for relief. Mm. And it's damaging our health. Um, You know, women are at greater risk for so many, as I'm sure you well know, stress related conditions and illnesses. You know, I try to make the point with other mothers it's not just about feeling better, although I want you to feel better. It's about being healthier. Mm-hmm. It's about having a higher quality of life and a, a longer, healthier life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, Leslie, we have uh, many more questions to address. I actually want to dive into work related issues given and it's very accurate and appropriate given that you started here with your story of professional burnout. And we'll be back after a quick break. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at Ritual.com edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's Ritual.com edit for 25% off. People often talk about the impact of things like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrition on skin, but did you know those things impact your hair too? If you've been dealing with hair thinning, you are not alone, and Nutrafol is here to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. I appreciate that they offer formulas tailored to different life stages, such as postpartum and menopause, as well as different lifestyles, such as plant-based diets. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering Edit Your Life listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code EDIT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. That's Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com and use promo code EDIT that's neutraful.com using promo code edit. Hello friends, we're back with Leslie Ford and we're going to dive into some questions about work specifically because Leslie, I was so I'm so interested in the work you do to help employers build better ecosystems as it were. And there's something you referred to on your website that I just wanted to talk a little bit more. And here I'm defining work as paid employment. In our conversation and in your experience, what are one or two of the hidden rules that exhaust and stifle employees who identify as caregivers or parents?
1: Mm, I, well, I love this question because there's so many, um, probably the biggest one that I have experienced personally, and that I also see surface in my survey data with parents is Responsiveness being a proxy for productivity. You know, we're in a culture where the expectation has become that you respond instantly or respond mm-hmm. very quickly. So, when a manager or leader sees that person who's right on top of that Slack message or responds to that email in a few minutes, that person gets rewarded.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That person gets promoted, that person gets recognized. But the person who doesn't do that, or isn't able to do that, or is choosing not to do that, right, in favor of what I think of as real productivity, you know, creating high quality, thoughtful workout output, and managing distractions in a way that allows you to have time for deep work, that person is generally not recognized. And for anyone who has caregiving responsibilities, especially someone who has hands-on frequent caregiving responsibilities, it's really difficult to be responsive in the way that a lot of workplaces reward it. And it's destructive yeah i
0: would add yeah i i agree and as somebody who when i started when i left academia and started my freelance career i definitely felt that sense of urgency like in order to prove that i could do this i needed to be on all the time and it was completely destructive and so now i love boundaries and i don't work at night and it's great
1: (laughs) it it is it's a it's a beautiful thing um I think it also changes and improves. Now, of course, it depends on the nature of your job and the type of work that you do, but the quality of your work is enhanced Mm. if you can be thoughtful about how you do it and you are managing the time for the work, not just the communication about the work Mm -hmm. and prioritizing the quality of it, not just the back and forth. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, you know, this. Particular issue about communication and urgency and responsiveness in my mind also really speaks to culture and the culture of a work environment. So, I wanted to ask you this you conducted a study during the pandemic and you found that 97% of parents lacked the psychological safety to ask their managers for what they need. And just last week, I was talking to my husband about the power imbalance in a situation where say, a CEO says, oh, well, my door is always open. People should come to me if they have a problem. So what do you recommend for people who are in a situation where they do have a concern to address or they do want to push back on a culture of responsiveness that seems untenable when there is a distinct power imbalance and maybe even no HR department to speak of as a workaround?
1: Yeah, it's... It's difficult. I won't minimize it because that power imbalance is certainly there and present for most workers in some way, right? Depending on who you're addressing and, and who you have to raise the concern with. But particularly for women and people of color or people who are in a historically overlooked group, the, the ability to set boundaries isn't there in the same way. Mm. And the reception to setting boundaries is different. You are met with fierce resistance to taking agency. So with that said, I encourage people to use the safety of numbers whenever mm-hmm. possible. You know, I think what's been kind of beautiful in the in recent years has been the rise in prevalence and power of the employee resource group. And so for, you know, Parents or caregivers of an older person or a special needs adult, you know, for anyone who has this challenge of managing the really limited discretionary time and very unpredictable access to discretionary time. Talk to your colleagues who are in a similar situation, whether it's formally through an employee resource group or informally about policies and practices, and band together to make recommendations. And I think what also is useful, although it shouldn't be necessary, it tends to be effective, is to frame the challenge through the lens of the organization's needs. Mm. So, you know, in the spirit of being more productive or effective or using our time wisely or getting aligned more quickly, that tends to be what leaders will listen to and respond Mm -hmm. to Um, over the human need behind it. So I recommend that people take that approach because I have used it personally in my life and I've seen it used effectively. And when I advise clients, that approach in the workplace is part of the language that most organizations speak. Mm.
0: Yes, that is a really astute recommendation. And in fact, I recently had a conversation where I was really pushing the human element and it was seemed to be falling on deaf ears so now I understand why.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean you would think especially now, right, that we are in this place as a culture where there should be a greater sense of enlightenment and awareness to just how fragile the human condition is mm-hmm. after everything we've been through in the past few years. But unfortunately not every leader Responds to that as their call to action. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you know, you brought up equity or lack of equity. And I'm curious if you think there are additional safeguards that one might consider if you are in, you know, you identify as somebody who has kind of less societal protections. Is there anything, is there any nuance there? I mean, I'm sure there are a million things, but are there any top line nuances you might have? in addressing a power imbalance that is further amplified by identifying as a less powerful group traditionally?
1: Absolutely. This is where allies and sponsors or mentors can play an outsized positive role. If you're in an organization where you have a trusted group of colleagues or connections who can speak on your behalf, it's again, unfortunate, but the reality that their advocacy for you might be better received and heard in a way that your own advocacy for yourself will not be. Mm. So I Mm -hmm. encourage people to lean on those connections when they have those trusted connections. And even if it's external to your organization, if there are people in your life that you trust, that believe in you, that understand you, bounce an idea off of those people, have a conversation about something that you're navigating at work and get some external perspective on a way to approach it and how to enlist support for it. All of those things are helpful. Um, The rise of coaches, coaches of every stripe, any possible challenge you could face in life, um, I think is a really positive thing as well, especially if you are in a historically overlooked group. So if it's an executive coach or a career coach, Mm -hmm. some organizations are providing those resources and benefits increasingly. I mean, it's it's been done for a long time at the C-suite level, but it's starting to become more democratized. So being able to leverage a resource like that to provide some guidance on how to address the need that you have and do so in a way where your voice will be heard and that you can have a clear ask and a set of measurable outcomes. Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's really, really important. Wow, I'm so glad uh, we had a moment to talk about that. Leslie, I have a few questions, including ones about mental health and these in-office requirements that have kicked up, and we're going to get to those after a quick break. As you know, I am all about micro improvements, and if you'd like to dedicate a little time each day to learn a language, I have a great solution for you. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app that offers 10-minute language lessons designed to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Materials are rooted in real-life situations, so you can learn important basics such as ordering food and asking for directions. Babbel offers personalized learning content, real-time feedback, tracking, and visualizations, and their speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. No matter what level you are looking for, casual, intense, or something in between, you can enjoy app lessons, podcasts, and live classes from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Here's a special limited time deal for Edit Your Life listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for Edit Your Life listeners at babbel.com edit. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com edit. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com edit. Rules and restrictions may apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you struggle with boundaries and the general complexities of peopling? Relationships are necessary to our well-being and some relationships are just, well, complicated. A good chunk of the work I have done in therapy centers on relationships, how to own my part of the story, how to let go of relationships that are toxic, and how to navigate challenging relationships in a way that doesn't drain me. And all of this work helps me show up better for myself and also as a partner, mom, friend, family member, and business owner. If you're thinking of starting therapy, check out BetterHelp. This online therapy platform was designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash edit. Okay, friends, we are back. Leslie, we have a mutual friend in Maura Aarons-Mealy. She was a guest on this show recently, and I will link up her episode, which was called Managing Anxiety with Self-Awareness and Compassion. It's a perfect companion episode to this one. And she and I talked a bit about this topic, but I would love to get your take on how somebody can advocate for their own mental health at work if they don't feel that their workplace truly is a safe space in this respect? You know, there's a lot of talk, but there's also the issue of walking.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's so well said, because I think the good news is every leader has this topic on their radar now. Every organization is acutely aware of the state of mental health globally and that it's not good. And a lot of organizations have put additional resources and supports in place. But, you know, I think as you and Maura discussed, it's still the burden often falls to the employee or to the individual to raise their hands and ask for what they need. If the trust is there, it's different, right? If you have a really good relationship in place with a manager or a leader or even an HR Department, because sometimes if the rapport isn't there with your manager, but you have a colleague in the human resources department or wellness group who is approachable and accessible, that could be the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that explaining in a relatable way what's happening in your life outside of work can be really effective you know people do tend to think in stories mm-hmm. and especially when i you know share advice to leaders on the organization side or to individuals um when i speak with groups of parents about how do you advocate for yourself you know many leaders just aren't walking the same path that you might be so by that i mean there's very very few um, mothers in the fortune 500 uh, ceo seat i think uh-huh. right and i imagine probably most of them most of the rest are fathers right uh-huh. so it's like parenting is not an equal journey um if somebody has a stay at home partner who is handling all the things making the magic happen and managing the kids in the household. That person doesn't have the same experience as a parent who doesn't have that kind of support. So, kind of breaking down, like in a little story, what's yeah. going on to say, hey, here's the thing, right? Here's a little story in my life that's relevant as it relates to my availability and my work. Here's what I would like from you to help ease this season. And ideally, if it's something that has a season to it, where it's a start and an end, right? It could be through a pregnancy or through a birth of a child or through an aging parent who needs extra support or is in distress, or it could be supporting a special needs adult, or it could be supporting yourself, right? After an illness or an accident or, you know, any number of things, but mental health, there's the ongoing needs that we all have, and challenges that we might face around anxiety or depression or any other mental uh, health condition, but then there's also acute situations that are very seasonal. Mm-hmm. So I think depending on what it is, if you can frame it as, "Hey, here's what I believe I need, here's the time frame that I believe that I need it for," like it could be an adjusted schedule or a greater flexibility or added subsidy or support or access to benefits or time to see a therapist or time to see to go away and take a much needed break. Um, You know, sometimes just having PTO and having removal from the intensity of work and managing life and managing mental health allows people to reset to the degree that they need to, to put things in a better perspective. So knowing what it is that you really would like to have happen at the end of the conversation and then setting some sort of a timeline for it, like, Mm -hmm. hey, I anticipate this season's going to be for the next six months or for the remainder of this year or for the next few weeks. And let's touch base again. I can provide you with an update or I anticipate that this course of action I'm planning to take is going to be helpful to me. But, um, if not, then I would love to follow up with you in a few months, or you know so trying to put a little bit of framing around it also helps people kind of attach the right level of urgency to it, yeah, and support to it,
0: yeah, I think that's super smart because I think you know also it's helpful for the employee because if you are going in with a situation, it's Going to be really helpful to articulate to yourself first what your ask is. What do you want? You know, you, then you can be more clear versus being kind of deer in the headlights in the moment. If you just bring up a situation and they say, "Well, what do you want?" and then it's it might be harder to articulate that in real time. So I love the idea of having a plan and putting a proposed timeline around it because I think it just makes it easier for both parties.
1: A hundred percent. Well, yeah. I'll add something. It's not always possible. But even if you don't know exactly, you can estimate, you can say, I anticipate
0: mm-hmm.
1: that things will improve or settle down in the next X timeframe because of Y reason. And, and I'll throw out there lots of people. I think I'd seen a study maybe a couple years ago that said 55% of families um, have a child with some sort of pediatric health condition mm. right, right now. Mm-hmm many of them mental health conditions. So if you're a caregiver, even if it's not your mental health, even if it's if it's the mental health of one of your children or your partner or your parent, like you could be in the throes of supporting someone through a really difficult time in a way that does affect how you show up at work, your availability at work, your schedule, and you may not know when it's going to end. Mm-hmm. But you can be as transparent as possible, um, state your intent, state what you need, and provide that space to check back in and readjust the plan if it's not working.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Leslie, I want to ask you about in office requirements. It's uh, been a topic of conversation in many of my personal circles, and of course, it's in the media. And it It is a challenge. I mean, especially there are some examples where somebody might have been hired during the pandemic when like the height of the pandemic, rather when remote was the name of the game. So in the face of requirements to return to the office, how do you recommend people advocate for themselves if they have some real legitimate juggling issues? I mean, is there even a case to be made if an office mandates a hard and fast attendance rule?
1: You know, it's it's really interesting. I've seen this applied on the client side, the organizations that I work with in different ways. On one end of the spectrum, there are organizations who are like, you know what? You want to come into the office two days a week? You want to come into the office zero days a week? Cool. <laughs> you, do, mm-hmm. you do whatever you want to do. We support you. Um, we're going to just set up the systems and the technology that allows for this very you know, hybridized um, kind of workforce. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I have a client where there's a mandate. It's, it's I believe it's two or three days a week. Mm-hmm. And even in situations where the individual has a role that can easily be productively done remotely, um, perhaps even it could be argued more productively done remotely, And they don't even have a team in the same office that they work with, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Because I've heard this story too. People have colleagues in Europe, colleagues in Asia, they're not even seeing the people they work with when they do go into the U.S. office or the physical space that they're being asked to return to. So then it's like it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the reason I kind of share those two contrasts, if you're in that latter situation where there isn't a work benefit to being physically in the office because your role doesn't require it your communication doesn't require it and the nature of what you do and even the location that you're in means that suddenly having to commute however long that commute is is a detriment right Mm -hmm. there's no there's no value add to you physically being in a certain space then I think you have a really strong argument to suggest hey here's what i think is most important to the organization and hint hint it's going to be productivity (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes bring it back to (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. it's like um i'm sure you all who are paying me want me to be efficient with my time and productive well guess what i can do that by working remotely and here are the reasons why and the way our you know geography teams, et cetera, et cetera, set up. I'm not deriving the benefits of being physically in the office because no one I work with is there Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever the reasons are. I think that there's a good argument. there. Yeah. What I think is harder, if you are one of a few or one of only, or you really do have a team, um, if you're a manager and managing other people and your people might be earlier in their career or, or you might be in a role where you have people who are physically on site and they have to be there. You know, There's lots of nuances to why you may want to come up with some sort of a workaround and say, hey, you know what, even though I would love to work from home forever and ever and ever <laughs> because it's super convenient and productive, there are certain needs where for communications reasons or for training other people reasons, you know, I need some in-office time. But it may not be that it has to be the same amount that you're being asked to give. Mm -hmm. You might be able to come up with a really good compromise where you get the productivity and flexibility and lifestyle benefits that are important to you. And the organization receives the input person touch for whatever reasons that they want that. Um, like I said, it's often bonding or communication or training or perhaps the team that you work with has to be on site for any of those reasons, like finding some compromise that's mm-hmm. of value to both parties. And you know and then the, the other extreme, I guess the third option is if you really can't find that alignment with your employer, now it's not fringe anymore there's so many organizations that are offering remote work in a way that wasn't even possible like five years ago like you can upgrade right you yep. can find that employer or that environment where if you know that your quality of life your productivity and your flexibility are enhanced by never having to set foot in an office there's a place for you that's going to allow for
0: yeah. Yeah. That's so important. I mean, I think the general threat is to be really clear if you need to advocate for yourself at work in any way, shape or form is to be real clear about the ask and the benefits and how it could impact things in a good way. Um, so that's, that's really, really important. And I'm glad you shared those different examples because it does Even though the conversations I'm having are circling a lot around in office attendance, I mean it is still all over the map. So Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Please. I'll add just one more thing for someone who's in a historically overlooked group. There are so many studies around people's just feeling of safety being higher at home. Um, feeling like it's not as if the micro Progressions like, are still going to be there, right? Whether you're physically there or not. But mm-hmm. some people really do derive a sense of just like power and comfort and happiness from being in their physical space and navigating it remotely versus being uh, there on yeah. site with a very visceral experience of bias, right? Happening kind of in your face or in mm-hmm. that meeting. So if that's your situation, You know, I encourage you to find the other people in the organization who might be your people. And it doesn't mean that they have to share the same, um, you know, know, insert the blank, gender, ethnicity, culture. You know, they don't have to have those components. But if you have those people who who are your people where you actually enjoy spending time with them, you have things in common they support you, they make you feel valued, maybe there is an option to also do some coordination around, hey, let's if your in-office day is on this day and mm-hmm. I align my in-office day on that day, then at least it it changes the equation where you feel like you have some agency yep. about this return and the conditions that you're going to experience when you're there.
0: Yeah, that's super smart. Yeah. Leslie So we're coming to a close of our time here. And at the end of each show I share, or in this case, I ask my guest to share what is called your next edit. It's a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to us chat. So in the context of our conversation, I would love for you to share your next edit an action item for our listeners today.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, um, I'm a huge like systems person, systems thinker person, and I've had to shrink down, systematize a lot of things in my life to make everything fit. And one of them has been thinking about time differently in all the ways. And something I talk to parent groups about when I'm with employee resource groups, or even the moms who are kind of in my community, is this idea of energetic space because people will tell you a lot about like time management or make more time or allow yourself to have time. And yes, but not all time is equal. Mm. So I say to people, you know, please don't decide to start writing that book proposal at 5am if you're not a morning person, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, or don't decide to start training for that marathon at eight o'clock at night if you know that's when you're going to be exhausted. So for me, this idea of like, energetic space is that one you have the energy that matches what the task is so whatever that thing is that you really want to do for your health for your growth like pick a slot where you have the energy for that task and then the second is that you have child care coverage I'm gonna say that again for those <laughs> who can't hear that make sure you have child care mm-hmm. coverage and that coverage could mean that they're asleep right but don't try to start that thing or do that deep work or engage in this new area of, you know, exploration when you're going to be interrupted every five minutes because that's Mm -hmm. hard, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the second piece. And then the third is that you have a time of day and a chunk of time that is sufficient for the task. So once again, like don't decide You want to start writing your great novel when you have like a 15 minute slot. (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. Like, give yourself 90 minutes or two hours, give yourself a deep work slot. Or if it's exercise, make sure you have sufficient time to at least get your sneakers on and get out the door. You know, don't try to like squeeze things in. Um, And I know that many of us are time bending magicians when it comes to squeezing things in, but there's a way where it, feels diminishing. Yeah. Like you're trying to do something and you're doing it in a time where it's just not going to go well. And you end up feeling badly about yourself and you should not. Mm -hmm.
0: Those are perfect and um, incredibly well-timed because I will, by the time the show goes live, have published an episode about tackling Dreaded and mundane tasks, in addition to all the big other things. But one of the things I talk about is really finding those golden hours and the optimal times to do the things you need to do. So that's just a perfect connection, Leslie. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining me on the mic. This was such a pleasure.
1: You are very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This
0: is—I knew it'd be fun. Oh, I—I'm so glad. Thanks. Take care. Okay, friends, you will find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life, a review on Apple Podcasts, or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.